Red Cloaks Radio is a production of the Boston Red Cloaks, and we're here to keep Handmaid's fiction. Hi, welcome to Red Cloaks Radio. I'm Jesse. Martha from Boston Red Cloaks. Judy from Greater Andover Indivisible. And today we are very excited and enthusiastic to have as our guests, both Jordan and Jocelyn from the Women Project. Hello. Hi. Hi. Let us know first how you're involved with Women Project, and then we'll talk about how we got connected, which is delightful. So Jocelyn and I met shortly after the 2016 election. On election night, Jocelyn and another friend of hers were scheming to develop a lecture series. Um, We happened to both live in Southern Rhode Island. So we were in a a suburban location, a little bit not connected from Providence, which is where our capital was. Um, So Jocelyn was first working with another friend to pull together a lecture series to bring folks in um, to a hair, the Hera Gallery, which is a local gallery, to educate people about the potential attacks that could happen in the Trump presidency. And um, so one of the speakers, we obviously had Planned Parenthood come down and speak, and we learned that Rhode Island had no law to protect safe and legal abortion. Um, so Jocelyn and myself and three other folks came together with this notion that we could work on that um, as a group of activists and artists. So Jocelyn came from the art space and I came more from like an organizing political background. And by bringing people together, we could you know, help create opportunities for people, especially that were newly engaged um, by the 2016 election um, to take on activism. And so we started there. Jocelyn, you brought an arts background. What is your area of artistry? Uh, I am a master's degree recipient from uh, California State University, Long Beach. I am a sculptor, but my expertise as a sculptor is in spectacle-based activism. I am partnered with uh, a performance artist slash dancer. And um, to pay, I jokingly say this, but it's very serious, to pay what I called my expensive art habit, I did a lot of training and in college was was a teacher in graphic design. So I have a marketing background as well. Very helpful when there's a message to get across, right? (laughs) Totally helpful. And so we come together today through a bunch of different ways. I know I was watching your advocacy when you were using the handmade imagery in legislative efforts and had you on my radar screen as someone I wanted to get to know and find out how you got there. So we will talk about that today. But for today, Judy got involved. So Judy, how did you first see the Women Project? Because I also got connected through you and your postcarding efforts. Yeah, so um, we had just become aware, you know, in Massachusetts, most of us didn't realize how uh, restrictive the abortion rights were. Um, And we started to get involved with three advocacy groups, Planned Parenthood, NARAL, and ACLU, who are all working on advancing a bill to um, update the legislation. And um, when we were trying to figure out what to do about it, and we were a little disenchanted with the methods that those you know, big groups were um, accustomed to, somebody somewhere mentioned to me that a bunch of women in Rhode Island had done a similar campaign with great success. So I got a hold of Jordan and Jordan um, graciously spent, I don't know, at least an hour, maybe two on the phone. I don't remember if we talked 
once or twice or whatever, but I was taking a gazillion notes while you were talking. And I then wrote up those notes and shared them with a group of women who had already gotten together and decided we wanted to do something to pass the legislation here. So you are a tremendous inspiration and help for our success in Massachusetts. Yay, congratulations. Yeah, thanks. It's so funny because there are these traditional ways that people in every state get used to doing their legislative efforts. And then there's some outside of the box thinking. And sometimes it goes well and sometimes it doesn't go well, but it seemed like you were really effective in Rhode Island and moving things forward. How did you feel, or I guess maybe first tell us, how did you decide what you would pick to work on in Rhode Island? Because when I first saw you, it was around the time of the Kavanaugh um, hearings, I think. It was around then, and then you had specific legislation in Rhode Island that was going to expand access. So I'm not sure when you were using the handmade imagery, but maybe we can chat about that a little bit. Post-2016, we really decided we'd use this federal lens that would come out of the Trump administration and the tax to... Um, to take folks that would be um, paying attention to things like, you know, when a Republican takes office, the global gag rule takes effect, or, you know, then Trump off, he did a domestic gag rule, which, you know, we hadn't seen before. Um, and we would, you know, see legislation introduced. And it tends to be a lot of folks respond to federal action. And so we always wanted to take federal action and turn it into a way to do something in this state. Um, so with, um, Kavanaugh appointment, we, you know, obviously use the energy that was out there to have some events, but then we would redirect folks to the efforts in our General Assembly, because that's how they could make change, right? Rhode Island has two Democratic senators who consistently support um, the right to safe and legal abortion. So, like, we didn't, in Rhode Island, need to work so hard to pressure our federal delegation when those kind of things happened. They provided opportunities for us to redirect folks. Um, and then I'll let Jocelyn sort of take the handmaids because we didn't use handmaids across the board. We were pretty strategic in how we placed them um, so as not to create alarm before it was necessary, uh, but, and, and they weren't at everything that we did. Well, I would say that, yeah. So we worked on it as an organization. We chose that that was the one issue because we're an all volunteer organization still. We're four some odd years old now. No one gets paid except um, two consultants that are touch points for us to the national space in terms of what some sort of things are happening, as well as some legal advice. And so, um, so we did all sorts of things. And actually, recently, to Jordan's credit, she was able to get some balls rolling with activists by reading um, from conversations that she was having with people that we were able to start a really, as you talked about already, Judy, a robust postcarding program. And I told Jordan this recently, but I haven't updated her, but um, one of our board members just sat on a panel talking to NARAL who um, had said that they were so excited about how we were doing our postcarding program in Rhode Island. It was so unique and unusual. Could the national organization itself use that model and had one of our board members on to talk about our process along with um, some folks in Georgia and some other folks. And so it really started from there in a very traditional manner by doing letters to the editor, by doing the postcarding, by doing calls and then from there, as Jordan said, we started noticing that our presence was picking up a lot of steam. 
And um, and in, in that sense, what that meant was, is we realized that by being a physical presence in the building, by doing outside, we were doing a lot of house parties, those were picking up a lot of popularity, a lot of people were showing up. That And we did, there were a few things that we were doing, and one of the most, I thought, early on successful pieces we did that was more of an artivist space, which is where we do throw in the theatricality of the handmaids, was we created a petition quilt. We called it a community petition quilt. And so we had quilters from all over the state interested in using their expertise with that, with that act, like that action and that art. Um, building, we had pieces signed by individuals who wanted to see this one bill brought to the floor, then wanted to see it passed. And so we kept showing this physical, gorgeous, giant quilt that grew and grew and grew. And from an artistic sculptural standpoint, I can tell you that it became a burden. Security guards got angry at us because it was a fire hazard because it kept growing and kept expanding across the rotunda and it's a three-story building. So that, so we saw that we would be able to possibly use the like objects and alternative methods to attract attention. And they, they had a resonance that the buzz was possible. And so that gave us fodder to take it further. And I just want to sort of follow up on Jocelyn, because I think the unique thing about how the Woman Project operated is we had a quilt of, I guess, in the end, it was about 2000 folks who had signed our quilt and we got access to the voter file. So you would sign it with your name, town or city and the date you signed it. And in Rhode Island, that was like enough to find 98% of the people who signed it. And so we were able to tag folks in the voter file and do follow up outreach to them as needed. So we were strategic in using the, the art tools that we were creating to also do just like the nuts and bolts of organizing and outreach um, and then keeping track of who lived in what district. So if you needed to get phone calls to a specific state senator or a state rep, the quilt actually provided that component. And I, one thing that I find really interesting is even people who are like long-term like political activists or whatever, did not realize that we were using it that way. And in a way that kind of fell under the radar, right? These crazy ladies are showing up at the state house with their quilt. And then the, it just, it kept getting bigger and we were also using it to bring the people power behind it. Um, That's really brilliant that you had that because then each state rep was looking at the quilt and seeing how many of their constituents had signed, right? They were. And the postcards too became a thing that they talked about as well. They saw these stacks of postcards on their desks that were being delivered and they were able to say like, look how big my pile is today. You know, so you, so not only did this, the approach of how the postcards were done, which was really brilliant. And that's what NARAL was really touching on. They became their own object in this commodity that was an important element to the activism. It's really interesting because um, we had a very different experience working with NARAL and Planned Parenthood and ACLU. They seemed to have a very specific way they wanted to um, put out their public messaging. And it was very traditional. They were doing the kind of postcards you are, postcards to legislators. But what we wanted to do is write postcards to people in key districts and tell them to call their legislators. Yep, that was what we were doing. Yep. Okay. And yeah. that was a really hard sell 
And we did not have a problem with that. People loved it. And we did yeah. have testimonials on the exterior. So it was a testimonial of someone in the district. But to, to be fair, Jocelyn, we raised the funds to do our postcarding program outside of needing a sign off in a coalition. I think that is, and, and a large part what the Women Project had to say is we were founded by five people who felt like they really weren't connected to the traditional structure of how things had been done in the coalitions in Rhode Island and what we were tapping into as an activist base in Rhode Island that had no other outlet. And so we did sit on um, Rhode Island's Reproductive Freedom Coalition. Um, and it, it's, it's a, um, we don't anymore. There have been some conflicts that have, have caused us um, not to sit there. But I think the thing that we always would come back to and just like take a deep breath is that we represented the activists and that is the space that we are in, entitled to respond to. And, you know, our, our other coalition partners are also going to represent folks in a different way. And they have a different set of risk factors that affect the kind of activism they're comfortable doing and they feel like they can safely support. Um, but if you're just a group of unpaid activists and you can fundraise to, to support your actions, it can be really helpful. And I think it's really it was powerful in Rhode Island because you know we were able to have contacts in every district. So then we went back to the quilt and I'll tell you just the, like this one district, we'd done very little organizing and we decided we'd postcard. We thought this led, I was a Republican legislator and we thought maybe he was on the edge of voting yes. And so I just, this is the one where I blind went to the database. We'd had, we had only seven people who'd signed the quilt in that district. And I just started calling. I was like, would you like to be on a postcard and have your picture and do a quote? And, you know, I got one, one person who we'd never worked with before say yes. And sure, I'll try it. And to be honest, she's someone who was very well connected and like the, she had been very much a part of the kind of coalition work in Rhode Island, but was like, sure, we can try this too. Why does it hurt? It doesn't hurt anything to try it. And if you're engaging and building new activists, that is like what's really important to sustaining this, right? Because this isn't just about like getting this win. It's also going to be about protecting the win. And if you're not doing that with real grassroots activism, then on the other side, is it, are you just gonna see it chipped away because you know a couple of you know elected officials make a deal and it happens that way. And then there's not, not the support to protect the win or to take on the next challenge. And so that was really important for the Women Project that sometimes the effectiveness of an action was about the engagement and not necessarily how many phone calls it generated. And that's a different matrix than some of our other coalition partners might operate. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. And I think we learned that lesson the hard way. We were a group of autonomous activists. We did pay for the whole thing ourselves, but we didn't want to um, be counterproductive. And so we got over-involved with the, you know, the big, advocacy organizations and they really slowed us down and limited what we could say and I think going if next next fight we will not go that route again what kind of challenges did you have did you feel like the closer you got to um, reaching decision makers 
did it change the way you felt like you could present your message? Um, so I think one of the smart things we did at the Woman Project is our one of our consultants is a messaging consultant who does um, a lot of reproductive health care work around the country. So we always felt like our messaging was probably in line with any Thing else if, if we were but we were pushing it from the personal interest story right like the, the single constituent and so we were able to turn things over quickly in that regard and feel like it we were being responsive I you know I remember one story a legislator who ended up not voting with us but said she was kind of truly undecided and at one point she made a comment to somebody and it got back to us that she had never had a conversation about abortion with a doctor and like, this is like when, like, we're just trying to create as much pressure as we possibly can. And we had some doctors, we reached out to them and we're like, start calling. And then one doctor was said, um, I'm actually part of a national group. I could get lots of doctors to call. And it was like, you know what, this is just uh -huh. the time increase the roar. And so she put it out there and that wouldn't be a tactic that I would normally ever recommend, but what we needed her to either say to leadership is I'm going to vote for this or you need to have a vote so it can be over with and she could still vote against it. Like we didn't actually need her vote. We needed her to want it to be over with. Um, and also mm -hmm. she had let someone know that she'd never talked to a doctor. So we were providing her with a whole chorus of doctors to talk about abortion. How did she react to that? The doctor that I think she talked to first, which was the first person I reached out to, had a really long and thoughtful conversation with her about it. Um, she ended up losing in the primary in the next cycle, though. I mean, I think she probably kind of knew she was voting against her district on that. Um, oh, interesting. And just... Uh, I'm not sure felt like she could take that vote. It is interesting when people have to decide to either move forward or not because the delay here, we did run into COVID. You had your decision before COVID started. We did. So we got in a, a I don't know what to call it, but you know, a pandemic time zone of time standing still. We have a two year legislative cycle. I think you're a one year, is that right? Mm -hmm. So it's a very difficult process here because you have to sustain your activism for two years. And it really does wear down many determined people. They just can't take off enough time from work to, or go in and out of the state house enough times over two years to keep the pressure on. So mm -hmm. people can kind of drift off, um, which is tricky. Um, wondering Jocelyn, so are there other um, art spaces? Is the graphic design on the website, first of all, is that some of your work? That's all my work. It's beautiful, really beautiful. And Instagram is beautiful. People should look at it. Let people know where can they find you in social media? Um, we, you know, we try to span the range. So we're in Facebook and we're in Twitter and we're in Instagram. We also have a very strong YouTube channel, which I recommend people take a look at because that's, that's where we store when we have discussions, that's where things will go. Um, and so uh, we have... Uh, TikTok coming, which is a little overwhelming for me. I will not, I will not be said TikToker, but um, we're excited. We have a 13-year-old um, daughter of one of our board members who's going <laughs> to for the adventure of it all. So, um, 
But yeah, no, I, I mean, that was, I mean, this is where the activism is as a volunteer comes in, right? We bring to the table what we can do. And so um, at this point, I do love our Instagram. I mean, we, I mean, when we started again, Jordan said this, some of us were just artists. And so, um, and I was a teacher in design and in art. And so it's important for us to point to the concept that, um, at least this is my personal philosophy, and I would argue most college students and graduate students have have been taught this too. Is that, you know, art art is is political, and um, once you put it out into the world, you know how people read it and how they respond to it is can be controlled somewhat, but somewhat not. And so, it's the risk that you take. Um, and so we've made a point of using our Instagram feed to accentuate activist artists as well, and, and what have you. But I mean, and maybe this is a moment to pivot to your expertise as well, which is is the red coats, the red coat um, phenomenon, the handmaids. So it's been incredible spending time with you and learning more about the Women Project in Rhode Island. We would love to have you back and maybe dig in a little bit on your experience using the handmade imagery, if that would work out. That'd be awesome. Thank you. Great. All right, everyone, we will look for the Women Project and all of your social media platforms, Instagram, coming soon TikTok and also on Facebook <laughs> and the website. And that I will say it's woman with an X. So it's the woman W-O-M-X-N is the best way to find us. Fantastic. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Right. You've been listening to Red Cloaks Radio, a production of the Boston Red Cloaks. Find us at bostonredcloaks.com 